0: The Spectator magazine combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription, in print and online. Plus, a £20 Amazon gift voucher. Absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk forward slash voucher.
1: Hello and welcome to Coffeehouse Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and James Heal. Now, Rishi Sunak is in Israel showing his support for Prime Minister Netanyahu and they staged a joint press conference. Here's what Rishi Sunak had to say. In the last two weeks, this country has gone through something that no country, no people should have to endure, least of all Israel which has lived through some of the most awful scenes, the specter of violence and terrorism every day of its existence. And I want to share the deep condolences of the British people and stress that we absolutely support Israel's right to defend itself in line with international law, to go after Hamas, to take back hostages, deter further incursions, and to strengthen your security for the long term. And James, Rishi they're throwing his full support behind Israel. What should we read into that?
0: Sure, yes. So Rishi Sunak flew out um, from London last night, arrived and had meetings today with the Israeli Prime Minister and the Israeli President. And I suppose the highlight of what has happened today was this press statement he did with Benjamin Netanyahu in which they both spoke of their mutual solidarity over this issue. Sunak told the Israeli press, you know, Netanyahu bluntly, we want you to win, um saying we stand with you. Netanyahu in his comments, you know, grounded it, put it in a very British sense. He said, you know, you fought the Nazis eighty years ago, Hamas are the new Nazis. Um Netanyahu's rhetoric was a bit more apocalyptic, quite binary, you know, fight between good and evil. It's talking about the forces of progress and humanity on one side and on the other, an axis of evil led by Iran through Hezbollah, Hamas and others. A lot of this isn't a huge surprise. Rish Sinek is following in the footsteps of Joe Biden's visit, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. And really, I think there's two motives for this. One is the obvious one of just saying to Israel, we feel your pain. We stand with you to demonstrate that that, that pain is, is acknowledged and shared by a lot in the West. But I think also it's the unspoken part of all of this is trying to really trying to calm down and make sure the Israeli reaction is listening to humanitarian concerns about the laws of war, the fate of those Palestinian civilians based in Gaza, and really try to show a sort of united front on this, which encourages Israel to act while obviously taking the steps to protect itself, while acting within boundaries of established international law and trying to mitigate the disasters as much as possible. So really, I mean, a lot of it too was very much about standing with Israel. And then, of course, this is just really part of one of uh, Sunak's diplomatic tour. Uh, this afternoon, he's expected to fly to Saudi Arabia to meet MBS. Um, also, James Cleverly is doing his own diplomatic footwork. He's expected to travel to Egypt, Turkey and Qatar over the next day, next three days too. And so really, this is about showing that the UK is part of the... Uh, Western response to what's happening in Israel, demonstrating support and also hopefully encouraging a proportionate response to all of this.
2: Yes, I think by having these public shows of support, and again, I don't think the motives of rishi Sudan are very different to those of Joe Biden. It's just one has more influence really just in terms of the size of the country and so forth. But by having these public shows of support, I think it the idea is it gives you the space privately to um call for restraint because clearly this conflict has the potential to be incredibly messy, wide-ranging, and have consequences for lots of countries well beyond Israel. And I think we're still at the wait-and-see moment because we haven't had that ground invasion yet. You've had the debate about the hospital strike, but it did show you, I think, how quickly some outlets were to say it was an Israeli strike, say, you know, the Palestinian side say this, and the furious response that that them received from others saying, you know, war on Israel and um, that this is a tinderbox. Since then, obviously, a lot of doubt about who is actually to blame on that strike. Um, but I think it does show you at the moment, lots of diplomatic dancing around this to try and get to the point that when things do get tougher, which is expected to happen, um, they have the channels in place.
1: And meanwhile, back in Westminster, the polls have opened today for two by-elections, one in Tamworth and one in mid-Bedfordshire. James, can you just take us through those two constituencies and maybe remind listeners why we're going to the polls today sure so you've got these two by-elections
0: one which was caused by the resignation perhaps the belated resignation of Nadine Dorries um, standing down earlier in the summer and the other was the enforced resignation of um, Chris Pincher, the MP for Tamworth after being after going through the common standards process and uh, a recall being triggered there in Tamworth these two seats are Tory held Um, mid-Bedfordshire has been a Tory seat since the 1930s I think that's an interesting one because you have a strong Lib Dem and Labour challenge there. So there's this question of, will you split the vote there? Only a couple of seats across the country are real three-way splits. Uh, we saw, memorably in 2015, South Danuk, which uh, was a UKIP Labour Tory one. It very rarely happens, so we're interested to see what happens there. And I suspect if, if if the Labour and the Lib Dems narrowly miss out on that, there might be some calls perhaps for, say, a, a progressive alliance or something like that. The Tamworth one is interesting because that has been trending to the Tories for the last five elections or so, and it has a you know, big majority, of 20,000. And really, I think these two these two seats are going to be ones which you know, weren't particularly caused by any real fault on Rishi Sunak's part, but which will be really worrying if if the Tories lose that or, or come close to losing that, because it shows that even in kind of those safe seats, they are under threat. I thought it was interesting yesterday at PMQs. Keir Starmer obviously chose to take the statesman route. He chose to lead on the six questions on Israel-Palestine. And of course, it was left to one of his front benches, uh, Karen Smith, to raise the uh, issue of some of the Tamworth candidates' comments um, in the Commons. And that, and that packaged that up for a nice, friendly uh, social media clip on Tamworth Labour. So, uh, you know, taking the statesman route and allowing the attack. So I think Labour's attack game on this has, um, has raised. And I think for many years, you know, the 2010s, they, the by-election machine wasn't uh, particularly... So I think um, if they do end up taking both those seats tomorrow, if Labour does that, um, that, I think that's another sign of confidence in their campaigning
1: machine. As James says, Katie, these are two very safe Conservative seats. But what are the polls suggesting?
2: which is that it's very tight. We're at a point where I'm not going to make a prediction, um, I think, hours before we get a result. Um, But the point is, it's just a bit too close to call. And obviously, you have expectation management going on all sides. I do think the Tories are a bit more despondent than they were a few weeks ago. And I think that because of the events in Israel and Palestine, you haven't really had much time for this whole, you know, post-conference post-mortem there's been some focus groups that were actually quite encouraging for Rishi Sunak in the sense that it was those uh, swing voters they need to get and they said oh this is a group done by James Johnson sometimes on this podcast effectively saying that they thought that Rishi Sunak had the better conference season, because he had actually done things, you know, he'd tried to do policies, whether or not you agreed with them. But then eventually they said, but we'll still vote for Keir Starmer if there was an election tomorrow. So that was widely, I think, taken as, oh, look, Rishi Sunak's had a bad conference season. But I think if you were in number 10, and you see that, you know, there's not an election tomorrow, you're trying to take people on the journey. So that would suggest their messaging is going the way they want. However, it's very different than the view in Westminster. I think the view in Westminster in the commentary is Keir Starmer had a much better conference than Rishi Sunak and um, the polls have not moved much at all. Labour got a very small bounce. Rishi Sunak seemed to get nothing. And therefore, even if I think you can see from that focus group a glimmer of hope for Number 10 on their strategy, which is to say Rishi Sunak's the man of action, Keir Starmer in action and to keep pushing that all the way to the next election it has, what the conference has done is it has not given the party a boost. So when you speak to MPs, I would say they are as glummed, if not more glum, than they were before conference. Because I think the expectation management has been a bit hasty on the Tory side. So this week, you see an effort to say, oh, we could lose both. But that is not where most MPs are. I think the the working assumption has been, they should hopefully keep mid-beds and they may keep Tamworth. Now, Tamworth, there's a lot of negativity in the Tory party over. But if they do get to a situation tomorrow where they somehow lose mid Bedfordshire as well as Tamworth, I think that's going to be very negative in terms of the reaction because it does not feel I, I think these results are never priced in in the way we can say they are. Look at local elections, people expect them to be bad. Said it was priced in actually it was worse than people expected. But particularly in this circumstance, I think there's um because as you say, the polls have been so tight, people are not writing it off as the Tories have definitely lost both. And therefore there is a potential, I think, for a bit of a upset tomorrow in terms of expectation management. Though on mid-Bedfordshire, if the Tories do scrape it, I don't think, I think it would give Rishi a helpful political boost in terms of getting through the next couple of days and weeks. But you can't really take great store in keeping a seat which um just because the votes are split between labour and lib dems because it's not something that is going to be replicated in many seats in a general election
1: yeah and James, on Labour and Lib Dems potentially splitting the vote, there have been some that reported that there's a tacit agreement between Labour and the Liberal Democrats coming up towards by-elections, whereby one will sort of let the other contest the Tories more heavily, depending on their chances of of winning. This is something that Ed Davey has has denied. But, but what do you make of that? Have we seen that in the campaigning towards mid-Bedfordshire and, and Tamworth? I mean... I would say that
0: it's actually been, from the Tories' perspective, remarkably amusing to watch Labour experience some of the Lib Dem tactics. There aren't that many seats in the country where Lib Dems and Labour come up against each other, and so there's been a furious war of words. Peter Kyle went on a, a rival podcast and accused them of sort of dirty tricks and questioning the character of the of the local Labour candidate. There, um, I think, really, I'm not sure how much can be read from the point of view of, of Labour or Lib Dem into this result if it is. Um, if it is as we think, pretty close. You know, there are not many seats like this across the country, and so I'm not sure. I, I think there was lots of talk in 2019 of pacts, and I don't think there'll be any sort of talk about that next time. I think if you look at, I was at Lib Dem conference, and as I say, the fact that Ed Davey attacks. Seen twenty-seven times in a speech, compared to just three for Labour, would suggest that they know they they both have an interest, shall we say, in attacking the Tories. That doesn't need to be any kind of pact or anything like that. It just means simply that the Lib Dems will do much better in the kind of so-called blue wall seats or eight or so constituencies where they finished second last time, Uh, and Labour will you know be the main opposition to the Tories in the rest.
2: And actually, I think what we've seen is voters are pretty adept at doing tactical voting when they want to. So you don't really need this progressive pact. Um, There is at general elections too, progressive packs tend to come under greater strain because there are lots of policy differences between Labour and the Lib Dems and you see that much more in a national campaign than you would local. But most voters, I think, in recent years, and you saw it with local elections, have got pretty good at working out who they want to stop and then trying to work out a way around it. So I think that we will see tactical voting and if people want the Tories out, they can do the calculations themselves.
1: And James, just finally... This will be the eighth and ninth by elections that Rishi Sunak has faced during his time as Prime Minister. And he could have to face another one, and another one triggered by a Tory sleaze scandal, with Peter Bone suspended over bullying and sexual misconduct findings. What should we expect to happen there?
0: Well, yeah, there's been nineteen by elections, eighteen and nineteen tomorrow in this parliament since 2019 extraordinary after a long long time we didn't have any by-elections and yeah peter bone this week was found by the common standards authorities to be in breach of its rules regarding allegations dating back 10 and 11 years and now it looks like uh, if his appeal is unsuccessful we could move to a six-week suspension six-week suspension is more than the 10 days needed to trigger the, the potential for a recall petition whereby his wellingborough constituents could call for a by-election in that seat and therefore we would have another potential by-election presumably at the end of this year or the or beginning of next, which is obviously not ideal time for campaigning. Uh, Wellingborough's constituency has been conservative since 2005 and again it's sort of death by a thousand cuts for really whereby every time the Prime Minister attempts to sort of a reset or, or tries to change the agenda or, or, or move the dial on any of this kind of stuff, it, it always means you have an immediate electoral contest and that then obviously adds to a narrative whereby he, he's losing these seats. So I think this, this, this Parliament has really seen how by-elections can potentially shape the fortunes of the National parties. we saw with Boris Johnson last year with those uh, Tiverton and Wakefield by-elections.
1: Great. Well, thank you, Katie. Thank you, James. And thank you very much for listening.